What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, happy Thursday. We have an exciting, exciting weekend, a huge weekend of college lacrosse coming up. Getting underway Friday night, historic rivalry between Johns Hopkins and Navy. First time since 2017, I believe, that those two teams are going to meet, if I'm correct on that one. Yeah, since 2017. And the 91st meeting overall between those two squads. So that kicks things off on Friday night. Before we get into previewing what will be, uh, should be the biggest weekend of the season, do need to recap a little bit of what went on during the midweek slate. So um, Wednesday, we had UMass get uh, the win over Vermont as they're able to hold off. Uh, really, you know, they got up pretty big early on. Uh, Vermont kind of, you know, fires back really there in the second half that UMass is able to hold them off <clears throat> in that contest as they get the Minutemen get the win. Um, and I believe it's the last, let's pull up the schedule here. I believe it's the last game. Again, they have two games before, or one more game till they start CAA play against Delaware uh, in two weeks, uh, April 2nd. Uh, and, you know, Vermont, you know, drops to two and six on the season. Um, again, just disappointing. Uh has not lived up to what many people thought they were going to be um, in this contest. Don Elmo came in for UMass uh, late in the second half, it was, I believe. Um, had a pretty big save there to end the game and help stop the Vermont run because that goal goes in. It's a one-goal game. Um, you know, you look at the face-off success, uh, and yeah, Caleb Hammett did good on Tommy Burke. Um, there, Tim Norton also got the, you know, some draws for Vermont. So, you know, th- they get that goal. They win the face-off easily, tie things up. Uh, and there was just, I think it was under a minute left, I want to say, or maybe a minute left. Um, it was, I believe it was the last possession because um, I, I, only, I only watched the ending of this game because, you know, had, was, was sitting watching some basketball and see, you know, kind of looking at the score off the side of my eye. And I'm like, oh, Vermont's coming back in this one. Um, so, yeah, UMass gets the, get, gets the win there. Uh, Stony Brook opened their America East play up on Wednesday, 17-9 to win over UMass Lowell. They bounced back after the loss to Brown on Saturday. On Tuesday, Monmouth beats VMI 11-6. That's a game that was, um, you know, uh, from what I saw, and I watched about two quarters of it, uh, seemed a bit closer, um, especially in the first half, than the, uh, I, I watched, what, three quarters of it, I, I guess. Um second, third, and uh, fourth. Um, and, and Monmouth really got going late. And VMI, just way, way too many turnovers uh, to come back in that one. But this was a close game through the first half. Uh, Rutgers gets the 22-10 to 10 win over Lafayette. A- after a, a pretty first close half, they, they blow this thing open as they should. Ross Scott, four goals, three assists, seven points on the day to lead the way for the Scarlet Knights. The big game, though, we need to talk about on Tuesday. Bucknell holding off Penn State. The Bison get the win. And we previewed this one on Tuesday's podcast. And I, I, one of the things that I said was, you know, 
how this Bucknell defense steps up um, and handles this Penn State offense, and then vice versa, how Penn State's offense, because a defense handles the Bucknell offense, because I thought both coming into this game, both of these teams have offenses, offenses that can get hot um, within a minute's notice. And we've seen that from these teams. Uh, Bucknell probably more so than Penn State. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the – and look, Bucknell has two freshmen helping to lead the way, Connor Davis and Cam Doolin. Um, so it's not – but they've got veterans mixed in there as well. Um, similar to what we've seen from Penn State, although I think Penn State, you look top to bottom on the roster, is a bit younger uh, than Bucknell is uh, at both ends of the field. But you looked at this game and kind of, you know, what are these defenses going to do? Um, how are these goalies going to play, right? And <clears throat> Bucknell, uh, they switched from Max Nolan to uh, Richard uh, O'Halloran in the first quarter. It was, they switched to him. And uh, it ended up being being a, a good move for them. Um, Ten saves on the day. Uh, he came in the 750 mark of the first quarter. After you had just a, a three-goal run within, I think it was within two minutes, uh, that put the Nittany Lions up three to two. I uh, believe that was Penn State's only lead of the game. Um, Bucknell just goes off here. They, they, they go off, you know, and, and this defense, you know, Penn State does eventually get back in this game late. Uh, and, and the Bucknell defense, which, I, you know, I had some questions about, especially after the Boston U game, they stepped up late and they made some plays. Uh, Reed Delanius uh, has, you know, deflects the pass with 2.3 seconds left. Gets the GB and you know, runs the clock out in the final seconds there uh, to secure the win. And then they had two other stops there before where, uh, you know, before you, know, you had this 4-1 this run that Penn State ends on uh, before they got that final Canyon Birch goal with 5.53 left. They had two other opportunities uh, to, to knock things all up. Uh, it's a 12-11 win for Bucknell. They had two other opportunities, two other settled possessions where they could have knotted things up earlier and possibly taken the lead um, there Penn State could have. But, you know, Drew Wellington causes the turnover, forces, you know, Jack Kelly gets a pass right on the crease. Wellington is right there on him. Uh, forces the turnover there, and then Travis uh, Tawarico, who's been a staple for this Bucknell defense, uh, one of the best cause turnover guys in the country the past couple seasons, intercepts. You know, Luke Moser has the pass. Uh, Matt Costin's, you know, curling the crease, cutting backside, uh, backside pipe, and Tawarico uh, just puts a stick in the air, takes that, knocks that pass down. Uh, or intercepts it, and those those two defensive stands really signified this game, and signified uh, the ending and the play of this Bucknell defense. Now, I do want to mention Penn State. So you know, coming into this game, <clears throat> you had Connor Davis was, you know. I mean, he was averaging 4.28 goals, or he is averaging 4.28 goals per game this season. Now, he was held to just two in this game, one coming in the first half, and his second, which was his 30th of the year, coming in the second half. Sam Sweeney, LSM, is bumped down to close for the first time since 2020 and gets that Connor Davis matchup. I thought Sam Sweeney did a fantastic job on Davis in this one. The two goals that Davis had were on situations where Sweeney gets switched off him. And, well, the one he gets switched off him, uh, they're playing a soft soft zone, I would call it, 
He jumps out to help. Davis gets the short stick up top, takes him, you know, takes him behind the cage, beats him on uh, the question mark dodge there, and puts it in. And then on the that was the second goal. The first goal was off the face off with 19 seconds left. Um, there, so a little you know, transition ish sequence defense wasn't set in that one. So both of those goals, I wouldn't necessarily fault Sweeney for he allowed those, um, or he allowed he got beat. Uh, he did a really good job on him there, really. Really good job. So I want to compliment that there. Uh, but while, you know, they might have held Davis a little bit lower than what he usually uh, has been, this Bucknell offense did exactly, um, you know, what they've been doing. Alston Terry, Haley Wellford, um, each, you know, three goals and two goals uh, for a hat trick for Terry, two goals for Wellford. Uh, they got going. This Bucknell offense got going there. You know, it's 4-4 in the first. They outscored the Nittany Lions 6-3 in the second and third periods alone. Get that 10-7 lead heading there into the fourth. And again, I got to mention this this Bucknell defense. You know, they held uh, Penn State without a goal for, it was nearly, nearly 15 minutes of the contest uh, there. In this one, yeah, fifteen, nearly fifteen minute stretch. Eleven forty two, in the in the third, through the eleven forty seven mark, in the fourth, and that big stretch there, plus those two big stops, uh, late in the game, really cemented things in my mind. This defensive effort for Bucknell again anchored by O'Halloran uh, after he replaces Max Nolan. Now Penn State also got. Um, you know, some good play in cage. Oleuk Fayok and Jack Flacone, uh split time. Flacone played the second half, and Fayok played the first half. Uh, seven saves for, for Fayok, six for Flacone. Uh The Penn State defense out in front, not doing a, a, a fantastic job um, at the faceoff dot. I think I had said on Tuesday. I thought it was going to be a advantage for Penn State. It was, but at the end of the day, their defense could not make uh, could not make the best of those opportunities, those extra possessions. Hudson Bond goes fifty three percent at the dot, so a, a, a really big win for Bucknell there. And <clears throat> look for Penn State, that's their third loss in a row. That's their third loss in a row. And their third loss in a row by one goal. Like, like that, that, that has to sting. That has to sting. And, you know, I picked, I said I thought Penn State was going to get the win coming into this one because they almost beat Penn, because they almost beat Cornell, losing both those games by one goal. They come in against a good Bucknell team, lose by one once again. Um, they've got Maryland next Sunday. I, you know, you're getting into your Big Ten schedule. You have Maryland, Ohio State, Michigan, Hopkins, and Rutgers. That's your schedule uh, for the rest of the year. Um, look, Penn State, you're two and six. There's a possibility that you end the year two and eleven. There's a possibility of that. I think the Penn, I think Johns Hopkins, Penn State. That game is at Hopkins on April sixteenth. Um, I think that's probably the only one I circle as a game that I really think they can win. Um, and that might even be stretching it. I think Hopkins defense has been their strong suit. I think that they should have uh, a. a plan for this Penn State offense, um, which continues to make mistakes. And, and look, this is a young team. You know, next year, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think they should be better. Um, obviously, this is not Penn State of 2019. This is not Penn State of 2018. It's not Penn State of 2020. 
a, a really bad, bad year in State College. For Bucknell, you bounce back, you beat Penn State. You beat a rival, air quotes, rival. Um, they got Loyola on the road, to, uh, their second game of Patriot League play. We'll see if they can get this one. You know, they played Boston U last week, took a 12-7 loss in that one. Uh, Loyola, they're looking to get back on track uh, as they seem to progress week to week after a pretty bad start. We'll see how the Bison do this weekend against the Greyhounds on the road. If they get that one, uh, you got Loyola, Colgate, Army, and Lehigh. Uh, That's a tough stretch there before you end the year. Holy Cross, Lafayette, Navy. Uh, Those three games, or those four games, uh, Colgate, I think Bucknell should win that one, but those three games in particular, Loyola, Army, and Lehigh over the next month um, are going to be important. And if they can win just one of those, uh, it's going to be huge for Bucknell's placement uh, postseason-wise. All right, enough about what has happened. Let's get going with what will happen over the next couple of days in college lacrosse. And we've got to start in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., number one versus number two, undefeated number one, Maryland, undefeated number two, Virginia, national title rematch, the biggest game of the season. This one's going to be great. This one is going to be fantastic. We Are we going to have a new number one, or is Maryland going to remain there? Is, is Virginia going to possibly drop to three or four? You know, there's so many things that could happen as an outcome of this game. Who, who, who's going to take it? Who's going to flex their muscle? Is it going to be a heavyweight boxing match with teams going back and forth the entire game? Kind of like what we saw in the title game, right? 17-16 win for Virginia, their second straight national title. This game is the biggest one of the year. I, I, I cannot say it enough. Now, Virginia, let's start with the Cavaliers. They're the visitors, I believe, on the scoreboard. Um, it's at Audi Field in Washington, D.C., part of the Capital Lacrosse Classic. Towson and Duke also play. And then Hampton, Sydney, and Catholic University play. Um, Division three matchup there as well uh, before uh, Virginia, Maryland. So a really big day in Washington, D.C. on Saturday as it pertains to college lacrosse. The Cavaliers, they head to D.C. after a Thursday night win against North Carolina last week in which they held the Carolina defense to just one goal in the second half. Cole Kastner continued uh, to show why he's the best pole on that Virginia defense. Matthew Nunes playing solid again in cage. And then, look, the, the, the defense was fantastic in that game. The defense w- was absolutely great. And this Virginia defense has stepped up time and time again uh, this season. And Kastner especially. Um, and, and, you know, he, he kind of made his work last year in the NCAA tournament, and he's done nothing but progress since then. Uh, But you can't talk about the Cavaliers without talking about Connor freaking Schellenberger. 40 points on the season, 15 goals, 25 assists. And look, the redshirt sophomore is amidst his best stretch of the season. Seven-point outing against Carolina. Uh, on last Thursday, four goals, three assists. I believe that's a season high for him, seven points. Uh, ties his career high. Uh, he had seven, I think it was once or twice. I know he had it once, maybe twice last year. 7.3 points per game uh, each of the past contests, past three contests for the Cavaliers, Hopkins, Syracuse, and North Carolina. 6.6 uh, points per game throughout the season as a whole. Uh, he is the straw that stows the drink for this Cavaliers offense. Uh, but at least we forget 
Matt Moore, he stepped up really big there on Thursday, last Thursday, I should say, against the uh, the Tall Heels. Peyton Cormier, 21 goals, three assists. He leads the uh, Cavaliers in goals this season. Uh, Matt Moore, 11 goals, eight assists for the Cavaliers. So this is a, 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 a Virginia offense that can get it done. And, and, and when they're working on all cylinders, it is, uh, it is a thing of beauty to watch this offense go to work. That is a similar situation there uh, on the other end of the field with the Maryland Terrapins, a 24-6 blowout win over Albany inside last week. Lobowitz now just two goals for assist in that contest. 35 points on the year for the fifth year. Uh, senior pair of grad transfers, Jonathan Donville, Keegan Khan from Cornell and Virginia, respectively, also helping to highlight and lead the way for that unit, uh, as is Kyle Long as the uh, second or third leading scorer for uh, the Terrapins as well. And, and look, just as we talked about the Virginia defense, this Maryland defense has been just as good. Uh, I mean, these two teams are both top 15 defenses in the country at the moment. Uh, Virginia allowing 10 goals per game. Maryland, 9.3 goals per game uh, this season. Logan McEnany has been anchoring things as usual. Uh, while Matt Rahill and Alex Zapatillo stepping up there to lead the way at close for the Terrapins. Uh, two-headed monster situation. There and then Rowan Puglisi, Bubba Fairman have been solid at the short stick defensive midfield spot. Did not mention, but Grayson Salade, uh, the best uh, D mid there for Virginia. I, you know, as a whole, obviously you lose Chris Murray. I don't think this Virginia short short stick unit. It's a bit younger than it was last year. I don't think it's been as as good uh, thus far uh, this season. But Salade has certainly been uh, very good. Uh, with Maryland, you know, big talking point has been Bubba Fairman moving to SS uh, to short sixty mid. And look, he he's embraced it and he's been playing well there uh, with Puglisi, who's been uh, one of the top D mids for the Terrapins, uh, one of the top D mids in the Big Ten uh, in the country for the past couple of seasons. Uh, the battle to face off dot exactly the same. There's a lot of areas in this game where it's different, right? There's there's no Jared Bonehart, right? There's no Docs Aiken. Um, yeah, Alex Road is gone for Virginia, right? Uh, there's a number of guys that are gone from that title game, uh, but you have a number of guys that are still there, many of those players that we've already mentioned. Uh, but the one matchup that is exactly the same will be uh, the battle at the faceoff dot. 56% PD Lasala went against Luke Wireman last season in that national title meeting. So uh, this is a, a heavyweight matchup, um, as good as you can get in college across this season. And look, for me, I think the biggest thing is going to be, I, I mentioned those defenses, and the reason I put so much emphasis on those defenses is because they are top 15 units. Yes, these offenses are fun to watch, and when they get going, you, you can get sucked in and you can watch that all day long. It's like poetry and motion is how Virginia plays, how Maryland plays, right? Um, and look, these offensive offenses are fantastic. Uh, but, but, but I'm going to say this. I don't think either of these offenses have faced a defense like they're going to face on Saturday. Uh, so, so the big question for me is the, 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 the chess mass, match between offense and defense. Might be a little cliche to say that, but – I think that's the biggest thing I want to watch in this game is how do these offenses respond to these defenses? Because you look at these teams' schedules. They've played some good teams. They've beaten some really good teams. They've beaten ranked teams, right? But how do they respond to a defense of that caliber? And, yes, they go against that. They go against, you know, top 15 units and practice all week. Practice is uh, – you can always simulate a game so much, right? When, when, when you get Logan Wisnowskis out there 
on Cole Kastner. How is he going to react, right? How is Cole Kastner going to be able – do they put Cole Kastner on Logan Wisnowskis? He did a good job on Chris Gray. I assume he gets that number one matchup. How does that – how does Logan Wisnowskis react to that, right? And then also, okay, let's say they try uh, to shut off Wisnowskis. You can't really do that with Maryland, right? Because they have so many different guys, and other guys just going to step up, and vice versa with, with Virginia as well. So how do those role players play in as well uh, to help battle against that defense that I expect is going to you – know, they're going to try to limit your top player as much as possible. So I think this is a game where we're going to see – uh, really uh, the full depth of these teams uh, at, on offense, on, on defense, really everywhere on the field uh, because this is the best matchup. This is the best team they've seen all year. We're going to see the full depth, the full power of these two teams. And look, I think this is clearly uh, the number one and number two best team in the country. I think this is a possible national title game preview just as much as it is a national title game rematch. Uh, this is this is big. This is big, and I know I've said it a lot, but it is big. Um, it, it, it it's big. And, and, and look, I, I love. I want to say this. I love seeing these two teams play again. They were ACC rivals. The series went away when Maryland went to the Big Ten. I love seeing it back on the regular season schedule. I hope this continues because these games are always fun. These games are fun. Moving on to the Ivy League, who begins conference play this week. Couple big games there. But the one that really stands out among the rest, number three, Princeton, hosting number six, Penn. And look, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Penn in this game than we will Princeton. And I say that because no, Princeton last week against Rutgers, we saw there's the depth there. You know, I don't know if y'all have read my, my, my article I did on, what was that, Tuesday, must-watch teams as midseason approaches. I have Princeton on there, and I talked about how Princeton, the question kind of going into this season was, you know, Princeton's always had pretty good top-end talent the past couple of years. But the question was, and I think they did have this in 2020, we just didn't get to see all of it, is how much depth is there, right? And we've seen a guy like Colton McAsee step up. Colin Mulshine, a freshman on defense, step up, right? We've seen guys do that. Pace Billings step up. Uh, uh, me, Pace Billings out uh, as well as George Bond. And we've seen guys step up, right? on defense. We've seen guys step up on offense. And and this has been really a, 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 a team that has shown we have the depth, we have the talent, and we can beat you. And, uh, you know, Penn, you look back at the last team, these two, the last time these two teams played, and it's a completely different team. It's a completely different team, right? Uh, that was 2019, the last time these two teams played. And Penn, that was really that, – that was the game I remember watching Penn and being like, okay, they're for real. They are for real. Because they were getting out there and you know, B.J. Farrar running that ball up and down the field. It was, it was a fun team to watch. And they've shown again this year, hey, we can get it done in transition. Uh, but the thing with Penn is, and, and Dylan Gergal is good, and you've got a number of really good players there. B.J. Farrar, Patrick Birkinshaw on the back end. you got some young guys there as well, right? And Princeton has some young guys. But and, and, and I do think that the, the, the one issue for Penn is going to be the faceoff dot. They've got to fix that. They've got to find a way to counter Sandoval or limit him in some way because um, I think he's going to kill them at the faceoff dot. Really, nobody they've trotted out there has been effective this season. Um, you know, after having, you know, in 2019 and 2020 for that time, having Kyle Gallagher, you lose one of the top guys in the country. Uh, hasn't been uh, the best of situations there uh, for the Quakers. But I think more than anything, we're going to see, uh, well, just like last week, we saw, does Penn, does Princeton have depth? 
Do they have depth and do they have talented depth? Okay, yes, they do. This week, that's going to be the question. Maybe not as direct of a question, but that's going to be a question for Penn. Because, look, you beat Duke 14-13 in overtime. You beat Penn State and Villanova both in the final seconds. Okay? I'm not I think those wins are not as good as Princeton's beating Georgetown, right? Beating Rutgers, number three and number three. So I a lot of people they, they see Penn in this I include myself in this camp. They see Penn, they see, okay, you can win these games in, in, in close games and you have that grit, you have that edge, you can get things, you have the clutch factor. Um can you do it in regulation? And if not, is it because you're not talented enough? And look, if, if Penn loses this, they're still a top 10 team. You know, they're still a top 10 team. Because um, I think it's going to be pretty close. But if they lose this, they're still a top 10 team. Not saying if they lose this, they're terrible and they should be dropped out of the top 20. It's just, look, you've won a lot of games by one point. Can you show us that you can do it Without that. And look, if they win this one by one point, I mean, I, look, <laughs> I, th- that that would be amazing. Th- that would be amazing. But, um, you know, Penn, really, we're going to learn a lot from that game. Number four, Cornell welcomes in number 11, Yale to Ithaca. Another big one there. Uh, Penn, uh, Cornell coming off a... 16 to 15 win over Penn State. Michael Long, uh, who has been really good since he came back after missing a couple games early, had four goals, one assist in that one. Um, look, I think for this one, my biggest question is can Cornell contain Brandau? Can Cornell contain Brandau? And then on the other end, can Yale get it done at the faceoff against Petrakis? Um, that was a situation, uh, when you think back to that Cornell-Ohio State game, you had these multiple runs that were partially sparked by face-off success. And I think Cornell has shown uh, throughout the season they can get out and they can run and they can make these big runs. Yale uh, is a team, and Cornell and Yale are both teams that came into the season with not a, a, a whole lot of experience, right? Um, had some younger guys on the on the team that are getting really a lot of minutes, but for Cornell they 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 do have some more veteran guys, especially on defense. Mike Adler, Chase Owen, and Cage, Dom Doria, uh, players of that nature, right? Short stick D mid was really the only place on defense where they didn't return anybody from twenty twenty. Um. So, and obviously offensively, you have C.J. Coast in there as the leader, and you know you lose a Jeff T. is a big loss for them. Um, so for Cornell, there was a little bit of a mis- mystique, mystery, mystery of what they would what they would look like. Um, and you also had that at Yale. Um, and Yale, I, I feel like a lot of people just because of what they have done, and I, this includes myself, just because of what they've done over the years, said Yale. Best team in the Ivy League. Matt Brando, he's back. You know, um, Chris Fake, he's back, right? Uh, figure out the face-off dot, and they'll be good. Uh, but, you know, we've seen Yale struggle at times. We've seen Yale, I think, has had a harder time getting things going, per se, in terms of guys picking up the game and learning uh, than Cornell has. So, you know, this one, we'll see who, who gets this one. Cornell is undefeated, uh, so they're looking to stay undefeated here. And Yale is looking to get uh, a big win to prove that, hey, look, we're still here. Uh, we may look different, but we're still here. And, and as I said, you know, Cornell, their defense has been fantastic. Uh, the past couple of weeks, you got top 20 defense. You look at what they did uh, in the ride. You look at what they did with Mike Adler. On Jack Myers, can they do that to Matt Brando? Can they do that to Yale offense? We'll see. And that's a Yale offense that we've seen get hot and just go off in stretches and have these quick sparks. 
Uh, so to win this one, you got to stop that. In Cambridge, number 15, Brown, will meet number 17, Hollywood. And look, th- this is a game, like right now, I, I, when you look at the Ivy League, Princeton, Penn, Cornell, Yale are your top four. That's going to be probably the Ivy League championship uh, tournament. Brown and Harvard are those two teams on the outside looking in at the moment. This game is going to be important probably because whichever one of these teams loses this one, likely, unless they run through the rest of the Ivy, will miss the Ivy tournament or has a lesser chance of making it for sure. So I think this is this is not only is it going to be an exciting game between two teams that over the past uh, over the past you know last week showed really good defensive performances, especially in the second half. Uh, you have Kyle Mullen in cage for the Crimson. You got Connor Thelio in cage for the Bears. You have defenses that you know don't necessarily make a ton of what I would call flashy plays, but they play good sound defeat defense, turning their defenders back and being able to hold on um, late in games from what we've seen. So, you know, and, and also they have two pretty exciting offensive players. Nick Loring has been very good for Harvard. Devin McLean has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, for many people, for the Bears this season. Uh, this is going to be an exciting one, but it, it's an important one here, as as both these teams could be left out of the Ivy League tournament. Um, I don't I don't think the Ivy League's a four-bid league, per se. I, don't, I think it's going to be difficult to justify that uh, based on... Now, if everything stays status quo, possibly, but I think as things develop, it, it's probably going to be hard to justify that. Um, but look, Brown and Harvard, they want to show that we're just right there up there with the rest of the pack. Um, and this is a game where they can prove that against each other. And then, I mean, you look at these, these teams, obviously they'll play everybody else in the Ivy in the coming weeks. Harvard has Dartmouth next week. Um, and then I think Brown next week, they will play... Let's see, Brown, they have Harvard. Okay, the, next week is their bye week against UMass. And then they'll have Princeton, to st- Princeton, Penn, Yale, and Cornell uh, before they play Bryant on a Tuesday and then end with Dartmouth. So uh, they, they've got four straight weeks in a row where they can prove something, right? Uh, but this is going to be a prove-it kind of win for both of these teams as well. Couple other games to mention here: a Midwest clash between Notre Dame and Michigan. Um, Notre Dame has to win this one. If Notre Dame loses this, there's absolutely no way that you can justify them being a top twenty team. And that's not saying that they don't have top twenty talent because they do. They absolutely do. But you cannot go one and four. I don't care who you play. You can't go one and four and still be in the top 20. Now, I've talked to a lot of people this week about this very topic. People have reached out to me about this very topic. Notre Dame, why in the world are they still ranked? Well, I'll tell you why. You lose to Georgetown, who was number three in the country at the time, I believe. Or number, were they number 10? They were they were, number eight, I think. They they were they were in the top uh, ten. You lose the top ten, Georgetown team. I can't remember where they were at the time. You lose to a Maryland team that I believe was number two in the country at the time, and then you lose. Okay, you lost to a top to a number ten uh, Ohio State team. There, Georgetown was three. Uh, Ohio State was ten when they faced them. And in each of those games, I would say there were opportunities to win, but they could not capitalize. And there was like one thing 
that really hindered them. Last week it was uh, penalties, right? And they've not been very – five man-up goals for Ohio State really helped the Buckeyes, right? Um, you know, and in weeks before, it's, it's been the face-off, Todd. It's, it's been a number of things. But they have got to put it all together this week. And look, the Irish, they you, – you look at this schedule here. You look at this schedule – you're one and three at the moment. Your only one is against Detroit Mercy. You have Michigan. And then you start ACC play. The only win, the only surefire win that I see on this, on this schedule right now for the rest of the season is Marquette. And look, they play Syracuse twice, and they play Duke twice. Now, do I think Notre Dame can beat Syracuse? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but that's an ACC game, and while Syracuse is not looking good really at all at this moment, you you can never count out ACC opponents conference play because teams tend to get up for those. Um, now maybe they blow out Syracuse. Who knows? It's possible, but you, you can't mark those ones up just yet. But really, Notre Dame, a really important game this weekend. Really, really important for them. And for Michigan, I think it's important too because, look, they were tested last week against Harvard, and uh, they failed. They passed against Delaware, which I would say is, was increased play from what they had had. Um, but they, they failed their test against Harvard. They failed two in a row. Um, look, I'm not going to call Michigan a fraud. Um, they're still a good team. They have really fun offense to watch um, when they get going, but they got to get going. Uh, they couldn't do it last week. They just simply could not do it. Uh, we'll see if Nick Rowett's back as well. Uh, if he is, I think that, that that could be a key point for Michigan. Uh, here. You just know uh, Wheatfeld played at the dot for, um, for Michigan last week. Uh, Nick Rowett was out. So uh, if he's back, I think, you know, that could be, be a key spot there because Will Lynch, um, good player. He's progressing. He's a freshman, though. Uh, he's still learning and progressing there uh, for the Irish. You know, hopefully he continues to improve, uh, but he's had his struggles uh, this season. Did not do good against Blanchard last week. Pretty good against Anasio, but against Blanchard, not so much. All right, folks, it is about time to head out of here. But before we do, I'm just going to list off a number of games to watch, other games here. Um, Johns Hopkins Navy, historic rivalry. I think both these teams, you know, I I would not – neither of these teams are top 20 caliber at the time. Um, I did pick Johns Hopkins to win this one. Uh, So if if Navy wins, I will say I am sorry – for betting against the troops. I am sorry. Um, I never bet against the troops, but after Hopkins, you know, what Hopkins defense has showed, it just felt that way. Um, Army and Lehigh, and what's going to be a really big uh, Patriot League battle, uh, two of the top teams in the Patriot League here playing. This one's at West Point. Uh, Army obviously coming in, Brendan Nickton leading leading the way offensively. Um, and they've been playing very, very well on a five-game winning streak. Lehigh, they were looking for their biggest win of the season. They had an injury-plagued start to the season, really rough, uh, but they've got some guys back. Cole Coast, uh, notably one of those there. Um, Mikey Sisselberg at the dot. I, I think the face-off dot is going to be crucial for Army in this one. They have not been good this season. Um, they've been improved from last year. Will Coletti, the freshman, has been uh, you know, he's been fighting his butt off um, there. But against Mikey Sisselberger, I think it's going to be pretty tough. And we've seen Lehigh, even in some of those early games where they did not play well at all, uh, the fact that they got so many possessions because of Sisselberger, you know, probably had something to do with why the score was what it was. And by that, I mean, was not as big of a loss as it could have been. Uh, Villanova and Drexel, a good Philadelphia battle. Um, Drexel coming in on a four-game winning streak here. 
uh, Villanova, they've gone one and two in their past three games. Uh, in their past three games, with each being decided by one goal. Uh, so they're looking to get back in the win column. They lost a pen in uh final couple seconds last week. Both of these teams are tied for first place and man down defense with an 80% success rate. Going to be a fun one in Philly. Study Book and Syracuse, both these teams looking to bounce back after games in which they did not play very well in the second half a week ago. Study Book did bounce back, as I mentioned, against UMass Lowell on uh, Wednesday. Towson and Duke in the uh, the other game there in Washington, D.C., other D1 game in Washington, D.C. Um, look, Duke, how do they respond? Like, they, they lost to Loyola last week. Um, I'm going to be looking to how they respond. And this is another offense Towson has where you have a number of guys, Nicholas DeMeo, Kyle Berkeley, you know, th- I mean, these are guys that can step up and, and, can, and, and they can play ball. They can play ball. And uh, how does this defense respond against another good offense? And look, um, uh, another loss here for Duke would not be good. I, 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 I got to think they win this one. Uh, but, you know, how do they respond? You know, and again, this defense has not been very good. And last week you faced a really good offense that's kind of found its bearings. This is an offense that, well, Towson, they, I think they're, what, three and four or two and three right now um, on the season. They haven't been – they're not the Towson of 2019 by any stretch. Uh, but this offense has been going since they stepped foot on the field uh, this season. They've been very good. So Duke's defense is going to have another you know, decent test. Ohio State and Denver on Sunday. Um, Look, this has been a really good series, but Denver has not been good this year um, in terms of where they have been. Uh, They've struggled to close out games. North Carolina, Yale, um, they they went on runs in both of those games and, like, kept things close. I believe they they led at one point against Carolina. Um, One thing they couldn't do in those games was close out. Another thing they couldn't do was, well, they couldn't close out, couldn't stop the other team from closing out well. <laughs> um, and they couldn't make, and they, 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 they couldn't contain the opposing team's top offensive player. Right? Couldn't contain Chris Gray. Couldn't con- uh, contain Matt Blandow. Can they rein in Jack Myers? Can they do so? We'll see. High Point in North Carolina. Uh, this is going to be a really good one. High points been playing. High points playing some really good lacrosse right now. You know, Carolina they're looking to bounce back after that showing last Thursday there. Um, so, you no know, Carolina is going to get up, be up for this one, looking to bounce back. And High Point they 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 they're playing good lacrosse as I said right now. Come off a thirteen to eleven victory in which they had to fend off a late game run uh, against Robert Morris last Friday. Asher Nolting. Uh, is playing some of his best lacrosse of his career, averaging 6.14 uh, points per game, and with 306 career points, is looking to surpass Mikey Mikey Powell, 307 for 15th all-time on the career points list this week. He will, I, I will say this, he's not looking to, he will surpass Mikey Powell uh, on Sunday in this game. And with eight games, oh no, Six regular season games left, and then if they go to the SoCon Championship and if they go to the NCAAs, you got an you know, average of nine games left, right? Um, or a minimum of nine games left if you run through all of that. Um, run through the SoCon, run through the SoCon tournament, and then get that first-round game. That would be your ninth game. Um, he could end top t- – he will end top five probably, uh, but he could end top five. Um, uh, he he will end top ten, most likely. He could end as a top five career point getter all time in in uh, Division One lacrosse. Asher Nolting could. And then another one I I didn't mention in my uh, big weekend preview that I did on the site, uh, but the uh, 
the Donowski Bowl. Donowski Bowl, Hofstra and Rutgers. That's going to be interesting. If you didn't know, John Donowski played at Rutgers, uh, was the, held the points record there for a while, um, and Jules Henningberg broke it uh, back a few, three, four years ago now. Um, and then he coached at Hofstra for a number of years. Uh, really, really good seasons there with Hofstra, really good Hofstra teams. Uh, now, you could argue that, what, what year was that? 2006, I think it was. Yeah, 2006. Uh, those games between UMass and Hofstra, really good ones uh, there. And you could argue Hofstra, you know, it, it, depending on where they were placed, could have gone to uh, to the Final Four uh, that year. But obviously no one that year was going to stop Virginia, and uh, UMass got pummeled in that title game, uh, if I remember the score correctly, in that one. Um, so, you know, really good Hofstra teams under Donowski. Uh, and obviously, you have the connection there with, with Hofstra and Rutgers. So we'll see. Um, I, I just call it the Donowski Bowl. He has nothing to do with those schools now, but, hey, it's fun to call it. Jay Wright also coached basketball at uh, Hofstra, going overhead coach. A lot of folks don't know that. Cradle coaches, in a way. All right, folks, that is uh, all for today. As always, thank you, thanks for tuning in. You can catch us or connect with us, I should say. I've been saying catch us, but connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. And just FYI, if you heard any scratching or anything in the background, uh, the dog was doing that. Um, so apologize for that. The microphone might have picked it up, might have not. Uh, but I'm doing it in the living room today instead of down in the basement. Uh, it's quiet up here. So uh, FYI, if you heard some scratching, apologies for that. As always, have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the lacrosse.